0: Hello, Renaissance. I'm Lee Strobel. Today, we're kicking off a new series called Unearthed as we look at evidence for the Christian faith. Today, we're going to be exploring the question Can I be a Christian and not throw away my brain? That raises questions like Is it rational to believe in God? Can I be an intelligent person and still be a Christian? I wrestle with these kind of questions when I was a spiritual skeptic. In fact, I'm going to be telling my story of my journey from atheism to Christianity on May 17th and May 18th. I hope to see you then. In the meantime, have a great weekend.:
1: Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. and um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to jump right in because we got a lot to talk about here. And uh, just a couple of couple of quick words of introduction. We're going to just kind of, in, <clears throat> excuse me, I got it right here. We're just going to kind of invite you in to our conversation um, about this very um, challenging um, subject theme, really. And uh, just just to let you know, I mean, uh, Clay and I, we're not just a couple of nattering nabobs up here. We uh, we've been around this thing for uh, called ministry for quite a, quite a few years. And uh, we're theologically, we're very much aligned. We don't agree on everything. LBJ once said that if two people agree on everything, only one of them's is thinking. Um, so sometimes I just disagree with Clay just to make sure people know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think at least, you know. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway we're, we, have, uh, we have theologically, we're, we're, we're very much aligned with few exceptions. We have two t- entirely different perspectives. If you know us, you would know that. We have two entirely different, you know, life life stories and life uh, experiences. One of us has 10 more years of life experience than the other. But enough about Clay. Let's, uh, let's, just, let's, let's just jump into this thing. And let's just start off with, with the theme, which is, do you have to throw away your brain to be a, a follower of Jesus?
0: And obviously, some people think so. Hey, some you know, people do. Some apparently. people think yeah. so. If you've spent any time looking at the uh, New York Times bestseller list from time to time... A book will pop up on there by one of what are sort of affectionately known as the new atheists, people like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, people like that. And um, so from time to time, these books hit the bestseller lists, and they make the argument that if you want to be a Christian, you really have to throw away your brain. Christianity is anti-intellectual. And I've got a a couple of quotes I want to share with you. First one's from Christopher Hitchens, and he says, Faith is the surrender of the mind. It's the surrender of reason. It's the surrender of the only thing that makes us different from other mammals. It's our need to believe and and to surrender our skepticism and our reason, our yearning to discard that and put all our trust or faith in someone or something that is the sinister thing to me. Of all the supposed virtues, faith must be the most overrated. So you have Christopher Hitchens making that statement. Uh, Richard Dawkins, another one who would share a, a somewhat similar perspective says, Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and to evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. And then somewhere else he writes, he says, I'm against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. So do people make that uh, claim? Absolutely, that Christianity is anti-intellectual. I mean, I've
1: heard atheists from time to time. I heard a debate, Socrates in the city a couple of years ago, a uh, debate between an atheist and a, and a, a Christian, basically. And at times, it, it was very uncomfortable to me because it seemed like the atheist was almost chiding the Christian, almost ridiculing the Christian.
0: Yeah, and that happens often in those debates. You know, people will try to score points, you know, uh, using ridicule. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes it seems to me that ridicule is used when the argument is actually weak. So you make fun of somebody when you don't actually have a strong argument. But we have to admit that skeptics aren't the only ones who use ridicule. No, Christians cool. will use ridicule to try to make s- skeptics look stupid, and it's, it's not good in either case. Yeah.
1: Kind of like my pastor friend who uh, often says, uh, atheists don't have a holiday, so how about April the 1st?
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. So like that, like, right, exactly. Yeah. Does don't, score use a few that. Points. don't use looks, that, you can't use that. looks okay. good on Twitter, yeah. but, you know, yeah. but that's Yeah, it's, it. it. it's not
1: yeah. kind or anything else. Well, obviously, these guys are pretty smart guys. Yeah. Um, you went to Princeton. I, I've been I've been through Princeton as well. Walking,
0: we but, had, we um, had yeah. breakfast actually that day, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was good.
1: But was you've good. been you've gone to Princeton. You, you 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 were a chaplain there for a number of years, something like fifteen years or so. Um, so you run into some pretty smart folks. Is yeah. there an anti uh, is there an anti Christian bias in the or an anti intellectual Christian bias?
0: Yeah, it's actually two kind of two questions. One, yeah. the answer is yes. The others, the, the second one, the answer is no. Yes. At times, you feel like there is somewhat of an anti-Christian bias, depending on who you're interacting with. But interestingly, it's less so at Princeton than at a lot of the other Ivy League schools, and that's a kind. Of, I, I don't know exactly why, but it's a little bit less at Princeton. But where you see it the most is probably the religion department. And uh, one example would be there's a course called the New Testament and Other Early Christian <coughs> Origins. And depending on who's teaching that, uh, usually there's a couple of different professors that teach back and forth, depending on which one of them is teaching, they often will start off the first lecture by saying, if you are someone who grew up in church and you have strong beliefs about the Bible, my goal is to disavow of those beliefs by the time you finish my course, yeah. basically well. to destroy your beliefs. And the, it's affectionately known as faith busters. So you've got that as, uh, you know, that, that can happen in the religion department. There was one professor who was pretty notorious in the biology department by starting off his first lecture and saying, if you're a Christian, if you believe in the Bible, you should get up and walk out of this lecture now because you've got nothing to learn from my class. I can't teach you anything. And you really ought to think about majoring in something else other than biology. So, you know, is there an anti-Christian bias? Sometimes there, there can be. When you ask the the other question, you're asking, did I run into any anti-intellectual Christians? Really, no. And that was, at a place like Princeton, if you're going to be there and you're a Christian, you need to be thinking through your faith. And so the idea that people are throwing away their brains in order to become Christians, it just wasn't true, at least in my experience, either as a student or as a chaplain at Princeton.
1: The irony to me is so many times you see that kind of bias in the religion departments. My wife Charlene will tell you that the first time she ran into this sort of um, kind of argument, <clears throat> this fervor against Christians w- was was in the religion department at the University of Georgia. So it's irony irony to me that that, that happens. Yeah, like
0: you that. would think that in a religion department they would be open to all right. the various religions, but mm-hmm. it's not always the case. And but on the other hand, there are some faculty members who are who even if they weren't wouldn't view themselves as uh, having a relationship with Jesus themselves, they did treat those who did very respectfully. Yeah. So it's not monolithic yeah. either.
1: Well, let's be fair for a minute. I mean, are, some, are the atheists in some form painting an accurate picture of, of those of us who are Christians?
0: In some sense, there is some accuracy to the picture with regard to some Christians. How do you like that? That's a, that's, that's, a, that's a good answer. Point yeah. being, uh-huh. obviously, there are some anti-intellectual Christians. There are some Christians who mm-hmm. are throwing away their brain who are making some pretty stupid statements, who aren't thinking about what they believe, and they're spouting off things that they really don't understand what they're talking about. But you get it on the other side as well. Christianity does not have a corner on anti-intellectual stupidity. Right, Atheism, right. agnosticism can do the same thing. There are smart people on both sides. There are people who say stupid things on both sides. Yeah, unfortunately. That's, yeah, uh,
1: exactly. It that way,
0: doesn't it? Exactly. Um, well, let's jump
1: in... Can I jump into a verse here? Let's do it. Want to, want to do that? Yeah, um, I like where you're going. Uh, 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 Proverbs is a great verse that I like. Proverbs 25, verse 2. Um, and it says this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. I, I just love that, that. To search out a matter is, is honorable. That's what, that's what people, kings, anybody that's, that's, you
0: know. Flesh that one out, because I think you're making a good point, but kind of flesh it out. What does it mean yeah, to search idea. out a matter? Um,
1: basically, he's saying search. You know, Google, I Solomon didn't know about Google, but I mean, Google, search, look, uh, research, research, read. And another passage in the Bible says, study to show thyself approved uh, unto God. So the Bible doesn't just suggest it, it almost commands us to, to seek this thing out. <clears throat> <Excuse me. clears throat> look for this stuff. Try to figure it out. Look from both sides. Talk to somebody you don't agree with.
0: Yeah, You know, yeah. That, that's, that's always helpful. God gave you your brain, <clears throat> used it to try yeah. to understand, to figure out what he's done and what he's doing in the world. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. And so that's, that's what I think the Bible suggests that we do that. The other one, the verse that I use, I'll do this one more time, guys. Hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. The verse that I use a lot, and uh, probably about, <laughs> maybe not every Sunday, but almost, uh, from Matthew 22, goes like this. Love the Lord your God. Watch this now. Um, if you've never watched this before, watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. mind. Yeah, good. Um, use your brain. God gave us a brain. Seek it out. Search it out. Figure it out. Talk. You know, pray. Um, just, just stay at it. And that, that's what our, our, our God is, 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 is honored when we do that. Yes. And yeah, I, so rather than yeah.
0: discouraging us from using our brain, right. the Bible encourages us to it, use our brain. It's
1: a great bumper sticker that says, uh, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. But that's not, I mean, a little elementary, frankly. Right, we want to go further. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly, that's good. And that reminds me, you know what you're saying there about loving God with your mind, reminds me of an incident that's recorded in the book of Acts in the New Testament where Paul, who was, as you obviously, as you know, you know, one of the founders of early Christianity, one of the leaders, he was traveling around and he stopped in at Athens. And, yeah. and in Acts 18, it says, when Paul was waiting for some of his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And what I like about that is it says he reasoned both in the synagogue where the religious people are going to be gathering, Mm -hmm. primarily Jews, but interestingly you'd find some Christians there as well because Christianity was an early offshoot of Judaism in that sense. So he's reasoning with people who, from a religious perspective, agree or disagree with him, but then he goes into the marketplace where from his perspective he's going to be seeing pagans who would have uh, a different kind of religious beliefs not judeo-christian religious beliefs but also people who might be atheistic or agnostic saying i'm really not sure what i believe about god or i'm kind of withholding judgment skeptics etc so he's engaging the people of his day in intellectual discussion about his beliefs yeah. and that's you know an example that you see Uh, about Christianity. And I want to add to that, that faith and reason are not incompatible with one another. Uh, You know, when Christopher Hitchens says that faith is the surrender of the mind or the surrender of reason, it's just not. And you don't see that taught in the Bible. You don't see that example in the Bible. And you don't really see that for the most part with Christians or Richard Dawkins, you know, belief is in spite of or perhaps because of the lack of evidence. No, it's not and that's not helpful to the discussion because they're setting up a definition and trying to pigeonhole people in a way that's just not really accurate. We can do the same thing and that's not helpful in that whole discussion so that while faith can't prove, it does involve reason, it does involve evidence, it does involve rational thinking.
1: Surrender of the mind is what uh, yeah. Hitchens accuses Christians right. of doing. You know what? I think there are some Christians who have surrendered their mind. Yeah. And they say some pretty stupid things.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, using your favorite uh, you know, intellectual research tools, you were saying Google. Yeah. The other day, I, just, I, was, I, I actually Googled <laughs> stupid Christian quotes. Just my, actually, if, my, you my, actually my, my, my fa- did you really? Yeah, I did. I put in stupid Christian quotes, and there were some that I couldn't even say here, you know, in, in, in uh, mixed company. In know, truth, my stupid.
1: favorite research is you. I ask you, ask
0: Clay. So, yeah, you must <laughs> be pretty desperate if you're doing that. If that's your favorite, but here's a couple ones that, yeah. I, that I that I ran into. Um, if God doesn't exist, how is it possible that one meter is exactly one hundred centimeters, and that water boils at exactly one hundred degrees Celsius? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to respond you know, to something like that. This next one's even better, though. It's a little bit longer. Everyone knows scientists insist on using complex terminology to make it harder for true Christians to refute their claims. Deoxyribonucleic acid, which is DNA, you know, for example, sounds impressive, right? But have you ever seen what happens when you put something in acid? It dissolves. <laughs> if we had all this acid in our cells, we'd all dissolve. So much for the theory of evolution, checkmate. <laughs> that one, we're not terribly proud of no. to have that as part of our tribe, so to speak there, you know? But, but the Big Bang Theory, right? You've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions, I, you know, I don't know the number of Christians who are going to hold to the Big Bang Theory as an explanation for the origin of the universe, and you've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands or millions of, of whether you know it's from an atheistic perspective, agnostic perspective, who are gonna to hold to the Big Bang Theory. And yet everyone who holds to the Big Bang Theory has to exercise some level of faith, faith first of all in the scientific method that it's gonna get us to truth. But secondly, maybe even more importantly, where did the matter for the Big Bang come from? And I had an interesting discussion uh, Number of years ago, when I was when I was a chaplain at Princeton, the Office of Religious Life, which is kind of where all the chaplains would hang out from time to time, uh, set up a forum on faith and science. And they brought in some some of us who were chaplains, and they brought in some professors from different science departments. And one of the gentlemen they had in had won the Nobel Prize in Physics for cosmology, things like the Big Bang. And so we were having a really interesting discussion about faith, and reason, and religion, and and these different things. And we came to the issue of where did the matter for the Big Bang come from? And he actually said that from a scientific perspective, the laws of physics as we now know them cannot explain the first few hundred milliseconds after the Big Bang occurred. And they don't have an answer for where the matter came from. And so the discussion turned to is it ultimately an issue of faith? And he had no problem affirming that faith is involved. Now, he's not going to consider himself to be a Bible-believing Christian, mm-hmm. but he didn't think it was anti-intellectual to hold to, you know, to, to, to recognize the faith aspect related to the Big Bang Theory.
1: So we're all people of faith.
0: Yeah, in Everybody. some sense we are. We're all exercising faith in something, in something or, or, or in someone. Yeah, yeah. excellent, good yeah. point. So that's,
1: that, that begs this question. i got to ask it. Yeah. Um, can you prove that God exists and that, and that the Bible is true and that Jesus rose from the dead? Nope. Can't Sorry. Prove can't nope. prove it.
0: Can't prove it. Let's get out of here. See you next week. Come on. We're man. done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't, I can't prove. I don't think anybody can prove that God exists, can't prove that the Bible is reliable, can't prove that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, can't prove it on. But you can't prove that God doesn't exist, you actually could potentially prove that the Bible's unreliable, and we'll talk about that next week. So that's theoretically yeah, that's, possible. That's you can't prove whether or not Jesus rose from the dead in that way unless they found the body, and, and again, we'll discuss that. At least Strobel will actually talk about that in, uh, in a few weeks as well. But when you're asking the question, can I prove that God exists? No, I can't prove that he doesn't exist either, but I can show that it is reasonable to believe that God exists. And I would argue that it's more reasonable to believe that God exists than that he doesn't exist. But people on the other side of the debate would say, no, I think it's more reasonable to think he didn't exist. So, you know, we can debate back and forth, but the question is not, can we prove it, but can we show that it's reasonable? What would be
1: a couple of go-to arguments for you for the existence of God?
0: Yeah, I think one of the oldest arguments for the existence of God, and one of the most popular, actually, is... Uh, the argument from design, and people like Socrates, uh, Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, some would say Voltaire, Voltaire, you know, held to the argument from design. Basically, the idea is that design implies a designer, and since when we look at the world, and especially living things, they appear to be designed, then the most reasonable conclusion is that they are designed, and if they are designed, then there has to be a designer, mm-hmm. and that designer would be God. And William Paley, who was a, both a theologian and a philosopher, he used what's called the watchmaker argument. He said, if I'm walking through a field and I see a rock, I say, oh, look, there's a rock. But if I'm walking through a field and I see a watch, I say, who put that watch there? Or who dropped that watch? Because that watch evidences design in a way that a rock does not so similarly when I look at say human beings, human beings look like we're designed, so they you know so that's one of the arguments there. And interestingly, uh, there was uh, an atheist named Antony Flew, fairly famous uh, um, among atheist and agnostic circles, who in roughly 2004 converted to deism so he didn't fully embrace christianity but he embraced the idea that there's a god and it was because of a variation on the argument from design he basically said i just don't think that there has been enough time in the history of the universe for all of this to have happened simply by chance there has to be a god of some sort out there so he converted in that for that reason that's great so another argument that is often used is the argument from from morality. And interestingly, that one goes back perhaps even to Immanuel Kant, who was anything but a Bible-thumping Christian. And Kant argued that all moral thought requires the assumption that God exists. And so he would argue from morality, the existence of morality, that God exists. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity actually expands on that argument, and he says that everybody agrees, either theoretically or practically, that there are objective moral truths that transcend culture, that transcend civilization. Even people who do not believe in God believe that there are objective moral truths, things that are objectively right and objectively wrong. And he said the only tenable position for that is that those that innate understanding of morality was implanted in us by a creator as opposed to by random chance. Lewis is, has passed away, but even some of the, the, the new atheists today, folks like Richard Dawkins, would agree that there is objective morality. They would disagree as to where it comes from, but the argument would be, which, where, what's the source? An example of uh, morality might be killing people. Yeah, murder yeah. is wrong, child
1: sacrifice a- and is wrong. And I struggle. I've always struggled with this one a little bit because... In some parts of the world, particularly when you get outside, arguably outside of Western civilization, Chechnya, some of these places, they kill for a hobby. I mean, life has no value, and boom, you kill. Know, I killed somebody. I mean, it, so where's that? Well,
0: yeah, and if, if we get our understanding of that culture only from the evening news, obviously, you know, that's, that's, it's going to appear that way. But if we sat down at a table with folks from, you pick, you know, Chechnya or wherever it is, yeah. we're going to be able to very quickly find a level of shared morality. They're not, they don't just kill continuously, indiscriminately. They're going to say, no, this is wrong right, in that way. Right. And so the question is, from two completely different perspectives, why is it that we have this shared core of okay. moral beliefs? And I think, and a lot of people think, that the best answer is that that was implanted in us by our creator. But again, even if we can't prove from the argument by design that God exists or the argument for morality that God exists, you have to agree that it's reasonable. C.S. Lewis is not an idiot. Kant was not an idiot. Voltaire was not an idiot. These are thinking people. And so is Christianity reasonable? Yeah. Francis Collins. Francis Collins, who is now the director of the National Institutes for Health and was the head of the Human Genome Project. Strong Christian believer. No one's going to say he's an idiot you know yeah true yeah true good. great point True. So. good point. so how would you respond then because one of the other accusations that's made is that christianity is a crutch for the weak-minded how would you how would you respond to that yeah point?
1: i've heard that all my life practically and uh, what i say when somebody says you know christianity is a crutch i'm like what's a crutch for oh, it's to help you walk and i said uh, well, you know, I, I, need, I need help in life. I need somebody to help me navigate this thing called life. And uh, I depend on Jesus for that. And the truth is, we all need some kind of a crutch. Um, you and I trust Jesus, but some people, it, it might be money. It might be power. It might be a, a person or people. It might be, you know, a thing or something else. That, that, that's their crutch. We, we're all broken. I'm broke. We're all broken. We need someone or something to help us through this thing called life. I believe that's Jesus.
0: Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong. Essentially, what you're saying is it's not stupid to recognize where your needs are and to look for help That's in, right. in meeting your needs. Right. And as we were talking about this earlier, you know, what you were saying made me think about, we both go to the doctor, mm-hmm. right? Christians, non-Christians, whomever goes to the doctor. Why? Because when we're not feeling well, we go to somebody who knows something more than we do, and hopefully we trust, we believe, we have faith that they're going to be able to help us. I'll take antibiotics, And I don't understand at a molecular biological level how those antibiotics work, but my faith is that the scientists who develop those antibiotics and the drug companies that manufacture them and the doctor who prescribe them know enough that it's the best thing for me. And so I'm exercising faith when I'm trusting to take those antibiotics. Am I being anti-intellectual? I don't think so. Yeah, are
1: you throwing away your brain by going to the doctor?
0: I hope not, you
1: know, I hope <laughs> I not. So, so yeah,
0: <laughs> and, absolutely.
1: Uh, one of the things that the, uh, the new atheist, probably the old atheist too, for that matter, would say is that, 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 that the existence of evil is a problem for those of us in the Christian faith.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some truth to that matter. The, the, the question about the problem of evil, how can there be a good God well, there's yeah. all this evil in the world. Right. How can a good God allow all this evil and suffering to go on? And that is, from a philosophical perspective, it's a serious, it's a challenge, and it's, it's a question that that Christians and people of all religious faiths need to be able to answer. And we spent some time this past summer, I think it was in August, when we did the Stump the Pastor uh, you know, mm-hmm. series, and uh, talked about that for a little bit. And so if you want to, if we want to expand on that, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, watch the video that's available online of that. But a short answer, and I recognize there's so much more to it than this, a short answer would be God created us with free will. He gave us the ability to choose, and he gave us the ability to choose either to obey him or not to obey him, to love him or not love him, to worship him or not love or worship him, to treat other people well or not treat other people well, essentially to choose between good and evil. And by giving us the choice, we, the option, the possibility of evil was available. But the inevitability of evil was not there. Now, from an atheistic perspective, they're going to say, I don't fully buy that. Fair enough. But you have to admit that it's at least reasonable. And then you flip the question around and you ask atheism or agnosticism, where does good and evil come from? And they have a much harder time answering that question. Uh, Naturalism has an extraordinarily difficult time with the concept of altruism. How is it that we will do acts of good to other people when there's absolutely no evolutionary advantage to it? Where does that come from? Now, that doesn't disprove evolution. It's just an issue with the, you know, the philosophical system that's behind it, and there's a weakness. Yeah. And so we have to admit on both sides, there are strengths, there are weaknesses, but both are making reasonable arguments. Yeah, yeah, so. good. Yeah. Good. good. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm seeing that we're kind of running out of time here, and I know there's a lot more that we want to discuss, and maybe we can, you know, as we're hanging out, we can kind of talk with people afterwards a little bit, and we will be covering some other things over the next couple of weeks, like is the Bible reliable, and, you That's know, how week. can we know who the real Jesus is, and, yeah. you know, talk about the resurrection when Lee Strobel's here. But... Any final kind of thoughts to sum up, or to you know, you don't want us to forget? Yeah,
1: this whole discussion always takes me to a couple of verses that I like a lot in First Peter chapter three, uh, verses fifteen and sixteen. And just just follow along here. He says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have." But do, and this was, this was written just for me, but do this with gentleness and respect and don't call people names. Is that in your... I added that. <laughs> I added that.
0: That's, I think it's, yeah. So that's what
1: I might say. Are you an idiot or what? You know, that's, that's when I get a little, a, little, a little too crazy. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Um, there's two things in this verse. Always be prepared. Be prepared. I, the first time I got blindsided by it, I was 19 years old. I was in broadcasting school. And I was kind of flirting with this girl, kind of a hot girl. Sh- Charlene? And this was B.C. This was before Charlene. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and she comes, I don't know, we got into a discussion. I'm just trying to use my charm and everything, you know. And then somehow we got into the discussion on the Bible. Don't ask me why. She says, you don't believe that stuff, do you? you don't, that's, all, that's all a fable. That, that, no, that's true. First time I ever heard that. I was blindsided. I wasn't prepared. And, uh, you know... Tells about where I was raised too, but but um, he says, you know, be prepared, study, understand this stuff, and then he says to every, to give an answer to everyone who asks. Here's the issue. Excuse the English on this one, but if they ain't asking, there might be something wrong with your life because the issue is the, they, when they see the hope that is within you, they're going to ask. And if they're not asking, maybe maybe I need to clean up my life and live in a, in a little more ways honoring to God and, yeah. and uh, the behavior. For those yeah. who are believers. And then that, in that other verse we talked about, James 1, we talked about this this week. Um, James kind of expands on this, James 3. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So live it, live it.
0: And, and as, you, as we were talking about that verse earlier this week, I was reminded, for me, it's so easy to let uh, my Christianity become intellectual. Uh, yeah. James is saying... If you're wise, if you're understanding, if you're a true Christian intellectual, it's going to show in your life. And I really, I liked when you made that. that
1: yeah, point. the counter, the counterpoint for you, 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 it can become an intellectual exercise. There are others of us who can ah, we can get lazy yeah. and, and say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I don't care about all this other stuff.
0: And we and need that balance. We need both. Yeah, we got to have both and help each other yeah. with that. Yeah, and you know, as 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 you were saying, the idea of being ready to to give a reason for what you believe. Keep asking questions, you yeah. know? Um, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, just starting out and saying, I'm not even sure whether God exists, and I certainly don't believe that the Bible is 100% true. Fine, ask questions. You know, why do you believe what you believe? Uh, explore, dig deeper, and keep, keep exploring. But even if you're further along, you know, we all have questions, we all have doubts from time to time, And we need to ask those questions. We need to share those doubts. We don't need to be afraid to say, I don't have all the answers, and I need to to know more. And a couple of books, two or three books that I think can be helpful if you want to explore a little further, one of them is A Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, the guy who's going to be coming to speak in a few weeks. That book really goes into much more depth about what we've been talking about this morning. And then I think it's the the third one on the list by Tim Keller, who's a really great thinker called The Reason for God. He goes into to even more depth again on some of the issues we've been talking about today. Then the other book up there, The Case for Christ, which uh, Murph mentioned earlier was really instrumental in the founding, uh, for the folks who founded Renaissance in their Ooh. thinking. It actually talks about the subjects we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. So those those three books would be definitely worth checking out either in the library and actually uh, pretty sure the Summit Public Library has those, which is interesting. And you can get them obviously on Amazon or, or wherever it is. But the other thing that I would say is embrace the idea of faith. Don't be scared about faith. We all exercise faith. And when we recognize that the God of the universe is so much bigger, so much more powerful, so much more knowledgeable than we are, We're not foolish to trust him. That's the intellectual. That's the smart. That's the right thing to do. And as we do and we realize what an amazing God he is and what an amazing world he's created, that can make a huge difference in our lives. So not only don't we have to throw away our brains to be Christians, we don't throw away our brains to be Christians. If we use our brains and use them to get a deeper understanding of who God is and what he's done in the world around us, creating it, studying science, medicine, art, history, whatever it is, that's an integral part of being a yeah. Christian.
1: Yeah, it's it's so important that, that we don't don't be afraid. You know, that's the thing. I, one of the things I want to really don't be afraid to ask those tough questions. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: you may not always find the answer. Right, but yeah. we can keep asking, we keep searching, and that's what we need right. to
0: do. Hey, you want to pray for us?
1: Let me, yeah, yeah let, me, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be able to have a discussion like this. It's, uh, it's important for all of us. Um, help us, Lord, stimulate us to engage and study our brains in, in, in a way of, of understanding better what we believe and why we believe it. And to help us not to shy away from some of those hard questions, even though some of those questions we won't have the answer to until we, until we meet you. So we thank you for this time. We pray for each person here, just that you just give just a special blessing, special measure of grace on each one. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week, we're going to do the same thing, only we're tackling another one that is really difficult. But it's going to be a good time. It's, it's going to be, be, be good fun. Um, it, how, do you know, how do you know if we can trust the Bible? Yeah. Is it reliable? Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to be discussed on that, right? Yep. God bless. Thank you.
0: Have a great weekend. <laughs>